I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, looks like you've dipped your toe into the cool, refreshing waters that is Leaves of Glen. Let's get wet. Uh, this is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. Uh, this week we're reading David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Uh, it's the eighth novel uh, that he's published uh, in 1850 and is widely considered his most popular work. As always, I just want to read the date that he died, which was the 9th of June, 1870. But he was born on 7th of February, 1812. Uh, fun facts, I will continue reading from the Unparalleled Necromancer from the Mental Floss article, uh, where he apparently was a magician with a quasi-racist name, I forget what it was now, Eh, where he, it's like he was trying to be from the Middle East or something. I don't know what he was trying to do. Back then, everyone was just racist all the time. But, uh, so apparently his magic show uh, was basically developed on getting a, a bunch of leftovers from a, a magician shop that was closing down. And he decided that I was going to buy all of it and then I'm going to do my own magic show. Apparently so good that his sister-in-law wrote home to the family about it. So we'll pick up from where we left off there. Uh, happily, Dickens' bookseller trade didn't go as it pleased, uh, in quotes, and instead went from strength to strength. He followed up the early success of the Pickwick Papers with the likes of Oliver Twist in 1839, The Old Curiosity Shop in 1841, uh, A Christmas Carol in 1843, uh, and Martin Chuzzlewit in 1844. That's a lesser-known work. To tell his ongoing accomplishments as an author forced him to shelve his interest in magic, uh, but not uh, before one final performance. By now, uh, Dickens had created an entire stage persona for his magic act, the Unparalleled Necromancer. Oh, here we go. This is a racist name. Rhea Ramaroos, a name he based on a famous Indian magician and juggler called Kia Khan Cruz. Uh, a member of Ramo Sammy's troop. And it was in this guise that he staged his last conjuring performance in Bond Church in 1849. The Dickens family, and Charles, his wife Kate, and eight of their eventual ten children, mother of pearl, arrived on the Isle of Wight in mid-July and stayed with Charles's friend, uh, the Reverend James White, until early October. So, not like dragging your family around uh, as you're whatever weird little hobby you've got. Should we review the story uh, from the last chapter? Sure, why not? David comes home uh, for a school break and finds out that his mom, Clara, has a brand new baby. I think it's a boy. Because they talk about the aunt that's convinced it's going to be a girl, so now it's two boys, and so they talked about, is that aunt going to come back around? Probably not. Got two boys, not a girl. David tells Peggy about the carriage guy uh, being into her, how he's available and whatnot. And then Peggy uh, giggles like an idiot 
for pages of her giggling like an idiot. And they talk about how she giggles and covers her mouth with her entire dress. It was weird. Uh, Claire and Peggy argue a lot about Mr. Murdstone. They get into a big fight about it. Mr. Murdstone comes back uh, really late at night, like 10 o'clock at night, with his sister. So his connection to his sister is disturbing. Uh, but then David spends a month trying to avoid him, but they say you can't hide in your room forever. Come down here and hang with us. And so then they, uh, they, he has to hang out with them, and it's awkward. And if he sneezes or drops a fork, they freak out on him. Uh, so, that's annoying. They complain about him openly while he's sitting in the room. Uh, Clara says that the new baby has David's eyes. And the Murdstones, just like Peggy before them, snaps like a twig and throws a fit and starts arguing. So everyone's yelling at Clara. And then David is just relieved when he finally has to go back to school. Eh. Anything going on in my life? Unemployment's coming up. Got about a week and a half. Uh, I've taken my podcast, uh, studio... And really decked it out. Oh, thank God, the grandfather clock. So that's pretty much it. I apparently plan on doing a ton of middle-aged, unemployed podcasting. Uh, and it's just going to get ridiculous. So with that, let's dive into our story. Welcome to the library here in the mansion of Leaves of Glen. Yeah, I'm still doing this bit. Um, oh, in real life, my sister's decided no one uses dining rooms anymore. It's a crap room. No one sits in it. No one eats in it. Uh, it's not the hub of uh, human life anymore uh, in at least American households. So she said, why don't you just turn it into your personal library? You got a million books. We can get some shelves, some comfy chairs, some mood lighting, and you could have this entire uh, library situation, including like a table in the middle of the room that's just for doing homework with like those weird little green lamps that you see in old-fashioned libraries. So I actually have a real library in the mansion in Leaves of Glen, but I'll never record my podcast there. Uh, to be honest, I'll just keep sitting in my, my basement. Chapter 9, I have a memorable birthday. I pass over all that happened at school until the anniversary of my birthday. I came around in March. <laughs> Except for the Steerforth. It was more to be admired than ever. Oh, I remember nothing. He was going away at the end of the half year, if not sooner, and was more spirited and independent than before in my eyes and therefore more engaging than before. But beyond this, I remember uh, eh, nothing. And the great remembrance by which that time is marked in my mind seems to have Swallowed up all lesser recollections and to exist alone. It is even difficult for me to believe that there was a gap of full two months between my return to Salem House and the arrival of that birthday. I can only understand that the fact was so because I know it must have been so. Ah. Otherwise, I should feel convinced that there was no interval and that there uh, one occasion trod upon the other's heels. Oh, oh, how well I recollect the kind of day it was, exclamation point. I smell the fog that hung about the place. I see the hoar frost, weird ghostly, though uh, through it. I feel my rimy hair fall clammy on my cheek. I look along the dim perspective of the, cl of the schoolroom with a sputtering candle here and there to light the foggy morning. And the breath 
of the boys wreathing and smoking in the raw cold as they blow upon their fingers and tap their feet nah, upon the floor. It was after breakfast, uh, and we had been summoned in from the playground when uh, Mr. Sharp entered and said, David Copperfield is to go into the parlor. Well, I expected a hamper from Peggotty, and brightened at the order. Uh, some of the boys about me put in their claim not to be forgotten in the distribution of good things. And as I got out of my seat with a great accolade, uh, Don't hurry, David, said Mr. Sharp. Ah, there's time enough. My boy, don't hurry. I might have been surprised by the feeling tone in which he spoke if I had given it any thought, but I gave it none. Uh, until afterwards, I hurried away to the parlor, and there I found Mr. Creakle ah, sitting at his breakfast with his, with his cane and newspaper before him, and Mrs. Creakle with an open letter in her hand, uh, but no hamper. David Copperfield, said Mrs. Mrs. Creakle, leading me to a sofa and sitting down beside me. I want to speak to you very peculiarly. I, I have something to tell you, my child. Mr. Creakle at whom, of course, I looked, shook his head without looking at me, and stopped up a sigh with a very large piece of buttered toast. "'You are too young to know how the world changes every day,' said Mrs. Creakle, "'and how the people in it pass away. "'But we all have to learn it, David. "'Some of us when we are young, some of us when we are old, "'some of us uh, at all times of our lives.' "'I looked at her earnestly.' When you came away from home at the uh, end of the vacation, said Mrs. Creakle after a pause, uh, were they all, uh, well? After another pause, is your, uh, uh, mama, well? I trembled without distinctly knowing why and still looked at her earnestly, making no attempt to answer. Because, she said, I, I grieve to tell you that I hear this morning that, uh, yeah, your mama's very ill. A moist rose between a moist? Wow, that was a weird turn I just did. It's a mist, rose between Mrs. Creakle and me, but uh, I said moist, so that's weird. Mrs. Creakle and me and her figure seemed to move in it uh, for an instant. Then I felt the burning tears run down my face, and it was steady again. Uh, uh, she's very dangerously ill, she added. I knew all now. She is dead. <laughs> there is no need to tell me so. I had already broken out into a desolate cry. <laughs> I literally build it up with, she's very ill. Oh, she's real ill. Like, so ill, so ill she's dead. <laughs> it's a pretty weird way of breaking that news. Uh, and felt an orphan in the wide world. Nah, she was very kind to me. She kept me there all day. And uh, left me alone sometimes. Ah, uh, and I cried and wore myself to sleep and awoke and cried again. When I could cry no more, I began to think. And then the oppression of my breast was heaviest and the grief of dull pain uh, was there, uh, was no, no ease for. And yet my thoughts uh, were idle. Not intent on the calamity that weighed upon my heart, but idly loitering near it. I thought of our house, shut up and hushed. I thought of the little baby who... Mrs. Creakle said, had been pining away for some time, and who they believed would die too. Oh, Jesus. And I thought of my father's grave in the, gr in the churchyard by our house, and of my mother lying there beneath the tree I knew so well. I stood upon a chair when I was left alone and looked into the glass to see how red my eyes were and how sorrowful my face I considered. After some hours are gone, 
If my tears were really hard to flow now, as they seem to be, what in connection with my loss? It would affect me most to think of when I drew near home, for I was going home to the funeral. I am sensible of having felt a, a dignity attached to me among the rest of the boys, and that I was important in my affliction. If uh, ever a child was stricken with sincere grief, I was, but I remember that the importance was a kind of satisfaction to me when I walked to the playground that afternoon while, uh, while the boys were in school. And when I saw them glancing at me uh, out of the windows as they went up to their classes, yeah, I felt distinguished and looked more uh, melancholy and uh, yeah, walked a little slower. And when school was over and when they came out and spoke to me, I felt it rather good myself not to be mm, proud to any of them and to take exactly the same notice of them uh, all as before. I was to go home the next night, uh, not by the mail, but by the heavy night coach, which was called the Farmer. It was principally used by the country people traveling short, uh, intermediate distances upon the road. We had no storytelling that evening, and Traddles insisted on lending me his pillow. I don't know what good he thought it would do for me, but, but I had one of my own. But it was all that he had to lend, poor fellow, except a sheet of letter paper full of skeletons. <laughs> poor Traddles. He is absolutely the hero of this story. He's a kind-hearted kid that's never a snitch, but he has such demons, he's constantly drawing skeletons everywhere all the time. And that he gave me, uh, at parting, as a soother of my sorrows, a, con a contribution to the peace of my mind. I left Salem House uh, upon the morning afternoon, and I left uh, a little thought when that I left and never to return. We traveled very slowly at night and did not get into Yarmouth before 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. I looked out for Mr. Barkis, but he was not there. And instead of him, uh, a fat, uh, short, uh, winded, merry-looking little old man in black uh, with rusty little bunches of ribbons at the knees of his breeches, black stockings and a broad-rimmed hat, came burp puffing up the coach window and said, uh, Master Copperfield? Yes, sir. Will you come with me? Uh, young sir, if you please, he said, opening the door. And I shall have the, the pleasure of talking to you, or taking you home. I put my... Uh, my hand in his, wondering who he was. And we walked away to a shop in a narrow street on which was written, Omer Draper Taylor had a basher funeral furniture, etc. It was a close and stifling little shop, full of all sorts of clothing, made and unmade, including one window full of beaver hats uh, and bonnets. And we went to a little black parlor, uh, behind the shop where we found three young women at work on a quantity of black materials, which were heaped upon the table and were bits and cuttings of which were littered all over the floor. Uh, there was a good fire in the room ah, and a breathless smell of warm black crepe. And I did not know what the smell was then, uh, but, I, but I know now. Three young women, who appeared to be very industrious and comfortable, raised their heads to look at me. And then went on with their work. Stitch, stitch, stitch. At the, at the same time, there came from the workshop across the little yard outside the window a regular sound of uh, hammering that kept a kind of tune. Uh, rat, tat, tat, rat, tat, tat, rat, tat, tat, without any variation. Well, said my conductor to one of the three young women, how do you get on, Minnie? Yeah, we should be ready by the trying on time, she replied gaily without looking up. Don't you be afraid, father. 
Mr. Almar took off his broad rim hat and sat down and uh, panted. He was so fat that he was obliged to pant some time before he could say, That's right. Father, said Minnie playfully, uh, What a porpoise you do grow. It is porpoise. It says porpoise. What a porpoise you do grow. Well, I don't know how it is, my dear, he replied, considering about it. I am rather so. You are such a comfortable man. Ah, you see, said Minnie, you, you take things oh so easy. Ah, no use taking them otherwise. Ha <laughs> ha, my dear, said Mr. Omer. No, indeed, returned his daughter. We are all pretty gay here, thank heaven. Eh, ain't we, father? Oh, I hope so, my dear, said Mr. Omer. As I got my uh, breath now, I think I'll measure this young scholar. What? Would you walk into the shop, Master Copperfield? Oh, measure him for a suit. Got it. I proceeded, Mr. Omer, in uh, compliance with his request, and after showing me a, a roll of cloth, which he said was extra super, <laughs> do good morning for anything short of parents, he took my various dimensions and put them down in a book. While he was recording them, he called my attention to his stock and trade, and to a certain fashions which he said had just come up, in quotes, and to certain other fashions which he had said just gone out, in quotes. And by that sort of thing, we very often lose a little mint of money, said Mr. Omer. But fashions are like human beings. Oh, they come in. Nobody knows when, uh, why, or uh, how. And they go out. And nobody knows when, uh, why, or uh, how. Everything is like life, in my opinion. If you, if you look at it in that point of view... I was too sorrowful to discuss the question, which would possibly have been beyond me under any circumstances. Mr. Omer took me back into the parlor, breathing with uh, some difficulty on the way, and, and they, he then called down a little breakneck range of steps behind a door. Uh, bring up that tea and bread and, uh, and butter, which, after some time, during which I sat looking about me and thinking and listening to the stitching in the room and the tune of what was being hammered across the yard, "'appeared on a tray and turned out to be for me. "'Oh, I have been acquainted with you,' said Mr. Omer, "'after watching me for some minutes, "'during which I had not made much impression on the breakfast, uh, "'for the black things destroyed my appetite. "'I have been acquainted with you a long time, my young friend. Uh, "'Have you, sir?' "'All your life,' said Mr. Omer. "'I may say before it, I knew your father,' Before you, yeah, he was five foot nine and a half, and he lays in five and twenty foot of ground. Well, that's a creepy little turn he took there, talking to this kid whose mom just died. Rat tat tat, rat tat tat, rat tat tat across the yard. Yeah, he, ah, he lays in five and twenty foot in the ground. If he lays in a fraction, <laughs> said Mister Omer pleasantly. It was either his request or her direction. I forget which. Do you know how my? "'Little brother is, sir,' I inquired. "'Oh, Mr. Omer shook his head. "'Rat-tat-tat, rat-tat-tat, rat-tat-tat.' "'Yeah, he's in his uh, mother's arms. "'Oh, that's sad,' said he. "'Oh, uh, poor little fellow, is, is, is he dead?' "'Oh, don't mind it more than you can help,' said Mr. Omer. "'Yes, the, the baby's dead to <laughs> God. "'My wounds broke out afresh at this intelligence. "'I left a scarcely tasted breakfast that went "'and rested my head on another table in a corner of the little room, "'which Minnie hastily cleared, "'lest I should spot the morning that uh, was lying there with my tears. "'Oh, she was a, a pretty, a 
pretty, good-natured girl. It put my hair away from my eyes with a, with a soft, kind touch. But she was very cheerful at having nearly finished her work and being in good time. It was so different from me. Presently, the tune left off, and a good-looking young fellow came across the yard into the room. He, he had a hammer in his hand, and his, and his mouth was full of little nails, which he was obliged to take out before he could speak. Well, Joram, said Mr. Omer, how do, how do you get on? Oh, all right, said Joram. Done, sir. Minnie colored a little, and, and the other two girls smiled at one another. Hmm. What? You were at it by candlelight last night uh, when I was at the club then. Were you? said Mr. Omer, shutting up one eye. Yes, said Joram. As you said, we could make a little trip of it and go over together if, uh, if it was done. Minnie and me and you. Oh, I thought you were going to leave me out altogether, <laughs> said Mr. Omer, laughing till he coughed. How do I do <laughs> As you uh, was so good as to say that, resumed the young man, why I turned with a will, you see. Will you give me your opinion of it? Oh, I will, said Mr. Omer, rising. My dear, he said, stopped and turned to me. Would you, would you like to see your... No, father, Minnie interposed. I thought it might be agreeable, my dear, said Mr. Omer, but perhaps you're right. I can't say how I knew it was my dear, dear mother's coffin that they went to look at. I had never heard uh, one making. I had never seen one that I know of, but it came into my mind that the noise was... While it was going on, and when the young man entered, I am sure I knew what he had done uh, had been doing. The work uh, now being finished, the two girls, whose names I had not heard, brushed the, the shreds and threads from their dresses, and they went into the shop to put uh, that to rights and to wait for customers. Minnie stayed behind to fold up uh, what they had made and pack it in two baskets. As she did this upon her knees, humming a, a lively little tune, the while, Joram, who I had no doubt was her lover, came in and, and stole a kiss from her while she was busy. Uh, he didn't appear uh, to, to mind me at all, and said her father was gone for the chase, and he must make haste and get himself ready. Then uh, he went out again, uh, and then uh, she put her thimble and scissors in her pocket and stuck a needle, uh, threaded with black thread, neatly in the bosom of her gown and uh, put out... Uh, her outer clothing smartly at a little glass behind the door, in which I saw the reflection of her pleased face. All this I observed sitting at the table in the corner with my head leaning on my hand and my thoughts running on very different things. The, the chase soon came round to the front of the shop and the baskets being put in first. I was put in next and those three followed. I remember it was a kind of uh, half-chase cart half pinafore fan, painted with a somber color and drawn by a black horse with a long tail. Oh, there was plenty of room for us all. I do not think I have ever experienced so strange a feeling in my life, uh, uh, I am wiser now perhaps, as that being uh, with them remembering how they had been employed and seeing them enjoy the ride. I was not angry with them, I was more afraid of them. As if I were cast away among creatures with whom I had no community of nature, they were very cheerful, and the old man sat in front to drive, and the two young people sat behind him, and whenever he spoke to them, he leaned forward and 
one on one side of his chubby face and uh, the other on the other. He made a great deal of them. They would have talked to me too, but I have uh, held back and moped in my corner, scared by their lovemaking and hilarity. Though it was far from boisterous and almost wondering that no judgment came upon them for their hardness of heart. So when uh, they stopped to bait the horse and ate and drank and enjoyed themselves, I could touch nothing that they touched, but kept my fast unbroken. For when we reached home, I dropped out of the chaise behind and quickly as possible that I might not be in their company before those solemn windows looking blindly on me like closed eyes once bright. And oh! How little need I had to think that they would move me to tears when I came back, seeing the window of my mother's room and and next it that which, in the better time, eh, was mine. Ah, I was in Peggy's arms before I got to the door, and she took me into the house. Her grief burst out when she first saw me, and she controlled it soon and spoke in whispers, talked softly as if the dead could be disturbed. She had not been in bed, I found, for a long time. She sat up night still and watched. As long as her poor dear pretty was above the ground, she said she could never desert her. Mr. Murdstone that took no heed of me, and when I went to the parlor where he was, but sat by the fireside, weeping silently and pondering in his elbow chair. Miss Murdstone, who was busy at her writing desk, which was covered with letters and papers, gave me her cold fi- fingernails and asked me in an iron whisper if I had been measured for my morning. I said, yes. And your shirts, said Miss Murdstone. Have you brought them home? Yes, ma'am. I have brought home all my clothes. This was all the consolation that her firmness administered to me. I do not doubt that she had a choice, a pleasure in exhibiting what she called her self-command and her firmness and her strength of mind and common sense. The whole diabolical catalog of her unnameable qualities, uh, which uh, on such an occasion she was particularly proud of her turn for business, and she showed it now uh, in reducing everything to pen and ink and being moved by nothing. All the rest of the day, uh, from morning to night afterwards, oh, she sat at that desk, scratching composedly with a a hard pen, uh, speaking the same imperturbable whisper to everybody, never relaxing a muscle of her face or softening a tone of her voice, or, 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 or appearing with an atom of her dress astray. Well, with, with that, let's take a little break and we'll retire into the master bedroom where I will let you know about a new and upcoming romance novel. Oh, don't get too comfy on that bed. I see you snuggling up on those beautiful blood-red silk sheets of mine. Uh, I want to get weird with you and tell you about the new upcoming romance novel Say No More by Karen Rose. Uh, Mercy Callahan thought she'd escaped the cult decades ago, but its long fingers are reaching out for her again in this electrifying novel in the Sacramento series by New York Times best-selling author Karen Rose. Again, what can I do? I, everyone's a New York Times best-selling author. 17 years ago, that was the last time Mercy Callahan saw Ephraim Burton, 
the leader of the Twisted Eden cult, uh, where she was raised. But even though she escaped the abuse and terror, they continue to haunt her. When her brother Gideon discovers new evidence of the cult, Burp, and their victims' whereabouts, Mercy goes to Sacramento to recollect with them. There she meets Gideon's closest friend, homicide detective Rafi Sokolov. From Rafi, she receives an offer she never knew she needed to track down Ephraim and make him pay for everything. But Ephraim, who had thought Mercy long dead, discovers she is in fact alive and that she is digging around the cult's secrets, and now he'll do anything to take her back to Eden, dead or alive. Uh, there's even a sample, which I'm not going to play, that you can listen to from the audiobook. So she's just tackling this at every angle, right off the bat. This is coming out August 11th of 2020. That can't be right. It's supposed to be a new upcoming book. I'm saying it's August 11th of 2020. Well, whatever. Say No More by Karen Rose. Uh, light a candle. Uh, get weird. Put on a, put on a weird cloak. Uh, and let's, uh, let's, have a, let's have a good time. Well, all right. Let's uh, go back to the library and uh, finish reading this chapter. Well, all right. Let's get back into this super depressing story about how nobody cares about this little boy's uh, misery. Her brother took a book sometimes, but never read it that I saw. He would open it and look at it as if he were reading, but would remain for a whole of an hour without turning the leaf, and then put it down and walk to and fro uh, in the room. I used to sit with the folded hands watching him and counting his footsteps hour after hour. He very seldom spoke to her and never to me. He seemed to be the only restless thing except for the clocks, which the whole motionless house. Uh, in these days, before the funeral, I saw but little of Peggotty, except that in the passing up or down of the stairs, I always found her close to the room where my mother and her baby lay. And except that uh, she came to me every night and sat by my bed's head while I went to sleep. Uh, a day or two before the burial, I think it was a, a day or two before, but I am conscious of uh, confusion in my mind about that heavy time, with nothing to mark its progress. She, she took me into the room. Uh, I only recollect that underneath some white covering on the bed, with a beautiful cleanliness and freshness all about it, there seemed to me to lie embodied in the solemn stiffness that was in the house. And that when she would have turned the cover gently back, I cried, Oh no! Oh no! And held her hand. If the funeral had been yesterday, I could not recollect it better. The very air of the best parlor when I went in at the door, the, the bright condition of the fire, the shining of the wine in the decanters, the patterns of the glasses and plates, the, the faint, mm, sweet smell of cake, the odor of Miss Murdstone's dress, and our black clothes. Mr. Uh, Chillip is in the room and comes to speak to me. Uh, uh, and how is Master David, he says kindly. Uh, I cannot tell him very well. I give him my hand, which he holds in his. Uh, dear me, says Mr. Chillip, uh, meekly smiling with something shining in his eye. Our little friends grow up around us. They grow out of our knowledge. Ma'am, this is to Miss Murdstone, uh, who makes no reply. There is a great improvement here, ma'am, says Mr. Chillip. 
Miss Murdstone merely answers with a frown and a formal bend. Mr. Chillip, discomforted, goes into a corner, keeping me with him, and opens his mouth no more. I remark this because I remark everything that happens. Not because I care about myself or have done since I came home, and and now the, the bell rings to sound, and Mr. Omer and another come to make us ready. As Peggotty was wont to tell me long ago, the followers of my father to the same grave were made ready in the same room. There are Mr. Murdstone, our neighbor, Mr. Graper, Mr. Chillip, and I. When we go out to the door, the bearers and their load are in the garden, and they move before us down the path, and past the elms, and through the gate, and into the churchyard where I have so often heard the birds sing on a summer morning. We stand round the grave, and the, the day seems different to me from every other day, uh, the light not of the same color, of a, eh, yeah, of a sadder color. Now there is a solemn hush, uh, which we have brought from home, uh, with what is resting in the mold. And while we stand bareheaded, I hear the voice of the clergyman, uh, sounding remote in the open air, and yet distinct and plain, uh, saying, I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. Uh, then I hear sobs. And standing apart from the outlookers on, I see that good and faithful servant whom all the people upon earth love the best and unto whom my childish heart is certain that the Lord will one day say, uh, 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 Well done. There are many faces that I know among the little crowd, faces that I knew in church uh, when mine was always wandering there, faces that first saw my mother uh, when she came into the village in her youthful bloom. I do not mind them, I mind nothing but my grief, and yet I see and know them all. And even in the background, far away, see Minnie looking on, and her, her eye glancing on her sweetheart who is near me. It is over, ah, and the earth is filled in, and we turn to come away. Uh, before us stands our house, so pretty and unchanged, so linked in my mind with the young idea of what is gone. And all my sorrow has been nothing to, to the sorrow it calls forth. Uh, but they take me on, and Mr. Chillip talks to me. And when we get home, I uh, put some water to my lips, weird. And when I ask him to leave, uh, to go to my room, it uh, dismisses me with the gentleness of a woman. That's also weird to say. All this, I say, is yesterday's event. Events of later date have floated from me to the shore where all forgotten things will reappear. Uh, but this stands like a, like a high rock in the ocean. I knew that Peggotty would uh, come to my room, the Sabbath stillness of time, the day so like Sunday... I had forgotten that. It was suited to us both. Oh, she sat down by my side, upon my little bed, and holding my hand, and sometimes putting it to her lips, sometimes smoothing it with hers, as she might have comforted my little brother, told me in her way all that she had to tell concerning what happened. It's really disturbing. Ah, she was never well, said Peggotty. Oh, for a long time. She was uncertain in her mind and not happy. When her baby was born, I thought at first that she would get better. Uh, she was more delicate and sunk a little every day. She used to like to sit alone before her baby came, uh, and then she cried. But afterwards, she used to sing to it. Oh, so soft that I once thought when I heard her, it was like a, like a voice up in the air that was rising away. 
I think she got to be more timid and more frightened-like of late, and that a hard word was like a blow to her. But she was always the same to me. She never changed her foolish Peggy, uh, didn't my sweet girl? Here Peggy stopped and softly beat upon my hand a little while. The last time that I saw her like her old, old own old self was the night when you came home, my dear. The day you went away, she said to me, I shall never see my pretty darling again. Something tells me so. That tells the truth. I know. Now she tried to hold up after that uh, many a time uh, when they told her that she was thoughtless and lighthearted made me believe to be so. But it was all a bygone then. She never told her husband uh, what she had told me. She was afraid of saying it to anybody else till one night, a little more than a week before it happened, when she said to him, My dear, I think I am dying. Oh, it's off my mind now. Peggy, she told me when I laid her into bed that night. Ah, he will believe it more and more, poor fellow, every day for a few days to come, and then it will be past. I am very tired. If this is sleep, uh, sit by me while I sleep. Don't leave me. God bless both my children. God protect and keep my fatherless boy. I never left her afterwards, said Peggy. Oh, she often talked to them, two downstairs, for she loved them. She couldn't bear not to love anyone who was about her, but uh, when they went away from her bedside, she always turned to me as if this, uh, there was the rest where Peggy was and uh, never fell asleep in any other way. On the last night in the evening, uh, she kissed me uh, and said, if my baby should die too, Peggy, uh, please let them lay him in my arms uh, and bury us together. It was done for the poor lamb lived but a day beyond her. Let my dearest boy go with us to our resting place, she said, and tell him that his mother, uh, when she lay here, blessed him not once, oh, but a thousand times. Another silence followed this, and another gentle beating on my hand. It was uh, pretty far in the night, said Peggy, uh, when she asked me for some drink, and when she had taken it, she gave me such a, a patient smile. Oh, the dear, so beautiful. Daybreak had come, uh, and the sun was rising, uh, when she said to me, Oh, how kind and considerate Mr. Copperfield had always been to her, and how uh, he had borne with her and told her, when she doubted herself, uh, what a loving heart was better and stronger than wisdom, and that he was a, a happy man in hers. Peggy, uh, my dear, she said then, it put me near to you for she was very weak. Lay, lay your good arm underneath my neck, she said, and turn me to you, for your face is going far off, and I, I, want, I want it to be near. I put it as she asked, and, oh, Davy, by the time she had uh, come, when my first parting words uh, to you were true, when she was glad to lay the poor head on her stupid cross old Peggy's arm, uh, she died like a child that had gone to sleep, exclamation point. Thus ended Peggy's narration. From the moment of my knowing to the death of my mother, the idea of her as she had been of late had vanished from me. I remembered her from that instant only as the young mother of my earliest impressions, who had been used to wind her bright curls round and round her finger, and to, and to dance with me at twilight ah, in the parlor. 
Uh, what Peggotty had told me now was so far from bringing me back to the later period that it rooted the earlier image in my mind. It, it may be curious, oh, but it's true. In her death, she winged her way back to her calm, untroubled youth and canceled all the rest. The mother uh, who lay in the grave was the mother of my infancy. Uh, the little creature in her arms was myself as I had once been, hushed forever on her bosom. Well, this chapter sucked. Uh, let's review what happened uh, from what we just read. David finds out his mom dies uh, from the jerk principal at the school. It's just sitting there reading a newspaper. It just uh, says, yeah, she's real, real sick. No, no, no. She's real, real, real sick. She's so sick, she's dead now. And also, uh, the baby's dead. So he gets to go home, uh, which is awkward. And then he has to hang around the Murdstones that don't talk to him or seem to care too much about the dead mom. They're just kind of waiting for this weird tradition of burying dead people just get over with uh, and then uh, afterwards Clara uh, kind of can't stop bragging about being there when mom died just really going into it just milking it so pretty uh, depressing chapter what's good about this uh, well as far as the story goes well written uh, you feel bad for him so this is better than most of the stuff I read uh, what's good in the story not a whole lot everything's uh, horrible for little David. Uh, what sucks? Well, mom died and the baby died. Why did the baby die too? That's the weird thing. Like, didn't they have some kind of milk or something for kids to drink back then if they didn't have mother's milk around? Did they just starve? I don't understand. Did somehow magically the breast milk infect the child? I don't understand what's going on that the baby died too. I'm guessing it just starved because mom couldn't feed it. Seems weird. What do we learn? Uh, don't depend on anyone too much. Because if you do, they'll go away at some point, and, uh, and you'll never see them again. So with that, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name 
instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. 